Okay, so if you have a Bible, you might want to be turning to Matthew and chapter 7. Look at Matthew and chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, uh, feel free to just raise your hand and one will get delivered to you. There's a few uh, we've got spare that you can borrow. So just lift your hand up and they'll come. The words will also appear on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read from verse 24, which says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it didn't fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. So we are coming to the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, He's wrapping things up. He's looking for a response from his disciples. Now, as you'll see from verse 28, the crowds had also begun to wander up the hill. At the start of the Sermon on the Mount, we'll see in chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Now, when he saw the crowds, he went upon a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Um, That's the context of this. Jesus has has wanted to get away from the crowds. He's gone up top of, uh, to the mountain. His disciples have come. He's started to teach his disciples. But clearly, the, the crowd haven't just stayed where they are at the bottom of the mountain. They've seen where he is. They've heard where he is. And they've come up and they've started to gather around. So there's Jesus and his disciples. He's teaching them. And then beyond the disciples, there's the crowd who have begun to gather. Um, he's mainly teaching his disciples, those who've already decided to follow him. Um, but the onlookers, the crowd, they're listening in as well. Um, that's very similar to today, maybe. Most people here, I would guess, are members of the church, people who are regularly with us, people who already have decided to follow Jesus. But here amongst us, there may also be others. You might be part of the crowd. You might be someone who's just looking in, wondering what it's all about, wanting to find out a little bit more about Jesus, to hear about his teaching. And uh, there will be things that you can take as well from the teaching of Jesus. He's already been rounding things up to his followers, though, his disciples, saying there's a response that needs to be made to his teaching. It's no good just listening to the teaching. Something has to be done about it. And so he comes in finally to land in this passage uh, where he's summing up with a story of two men who are each building their own houses. One of them is a wise man and one of them is a foolish man. The wise man builds his house on a foundation of rock and the foolish man builds his house on the sand where there is no foundation. And then the wind and the rains come, the streams rise up, and only the house on the rock stands. The other one is completely destroyed. 
Now, I'm sure many of us, if not all of us, will know this story. A lot of the children, it's in children's Bibles. It's in stories that even the kids will have probably heard it before. We probably know it too well. I mean, what I mean by that is that we often just think, oh, yeah, yeah, that story, the wise man and the foolish man. Yeah, we know that story. We know what that means. We think we understand it. Maybe we don't give it a great deal of thought. Well, today we're going to look in a little bit more detail at this uh, and see what, what does it mean. I guess the, the houses, the two houses, uh, fairly clearly, are representing the lives of the builders, the lives of the people. But we can often think that Jesus is addressing the crowd at this point. Maybe Jesus has switched. Maybe he started off addressing his disciples. And then he sees the crowd coming and he thinks, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll switch. I'll do an evangelistic message. I'll do a message to talk, about, to, talk to these people around the back. And, he, and maybe we think he's talking to those. And maybe we think Jesus is saying to people, you know, you need to build your lives on me. Don't just build your lives on the things that the world might tell you are important. Build your lives on me. And the, uh, we could say, well, the rain and the stream rising and, and the winds blowing, they could well represent the day when Jesus is going to return to judge the world. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 27, that he's going to return and judge the world. He says, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. So this is the day that's coming. You know, we can live our lives all over the place just thinking, well, we're just going to enjoy ourselves. We're just going to make the best out of life. We don't want to know about God or religion or anything like that. That's all, that's all boring. That's all irrelevant to us. We're just going to live our lives the way we want. Live in the sunshine. Enjoy the good weather. But one day, the wind and the rains are going to come. It's a good day to be preaching this message, really, isn't it? But Jesus will come back and judge the world. And if we don't have him in our lives on this day of judgment, when he returns, we'll be destroyed and our lives will be worthless. They'll be wiped out. There'll be judgment. There'll be punishment. There'll be consequences for the way we've lived our lives. In a sense, there's a lot of truth in saying that. Actually, the Bible does proclaim all of those things. That is all true. God's judgment, actually, is often described as being like a storm. In Ezekiel chapter 13, we see that. Ezekiel chapter 13, and looking at verse 13, it says, Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, In my wrath I will unleash a violent wind, and in my anger hailstones and torrents of rain will fall with destructive fury. I will tear down the wall you have covered with whitewash. Uh, to make it look better and will level it to the ground so that its foundations will be laid bare and when it falls you will be destroyed in it and you will know that I am the Lord. Jesus, God is talking about a day of judgment, a day when he will come and judge people's hearts, when he will see what their lives are really based on and he describes it as coming like a flood, like hailstorms, like rain, like torrents, very similar sort of description to what Jesus is saying here. This life isn't just about the pleasures that we can get from it now. It is about eternity too. We do have to 
bear in mind that one day Jesus will return. And in, if our lives are not built on the foundation of Jesus, things will be destroyed. I mean, it might look as though things are going okay in our lives right now. It may look calm and peaceful, but one day that storm will come. Many of us go camping at, uh, in North Yorkshire. I think we're advertising it again in, in uh, Newsbyte today. Uh, August Bank Holiday. We'll, we'll take tents and we'll go and set up camp and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have a great weekend. But when we're pitching our tents, sometimes, very occasionally, it's a nice sunny day. I think last year it was like that. I got up, oh, this is fantastic. You know, you're pitching your tent, you're putting it up, you're putting the poles up and the... Yeah, fantastic. Oh, there's, there's, look at the sun. It's wonderful. There's no wind. Amazing. The temptation can be that we don't bother to get all the guy ropes untied and peg them all in. Oh, look at all these. There's about 25 of them. Oh, I'm just going to leave these. It's fine. It's a lovely day. But actually, very quickly, things can change. Very quickly, the weather can turn. The wind starts blowing up. The tent starts buffeting. You often see at the camp, it's great fun to watch other people's tents just flying through the air, <laughs> crashing into cars, <laughs> whole marquees coming down, because the wind and the storms have come. Things can change very quickly. It's no good just looking at what life is like now. Will we be able to stand before God in the face of his judgment and anger against sin. Let me tell you, you will only be able to stand if you've put your belief in Jesus and his ability to forgive you of that sin. There's only Jesus can lead us to God. There's only Jesus can help us to escape that destruction because he has taken the penalty for our sin. And unless we put our trust fully in that and fully in him, then we are going to have to face the full wrath and anger, and storm, and fury of God on that day of judgment. And you might say, Mark, what are you doing? Are you trying to scare people? Are you trying to put the fear of hell into people? Is that the way to get people into the kingdom? Well, I guess people come into the kingdom in many different ways. But if you are sleeping in a home that is about to be destroyed by rising floodwaters, and I see that, then I'm going to be coming and banging on your door and saying, you need to get out of this house right now because the floodwaters are rising. Destruction is coming to your house. And then you've got a choice. How much are you attached to that house? How much do you want to stay in that house? You know, some people do that, don't they? When, when there's floodwaters, they, some people are evacuated. I'm going to get out. I've seen, actually, my life's more important than all this stuff. Other people are like, I'm staying here with the house. I'm staying here. Well, that's your choice. You can choose to stay with your house. But if I was banging on the door saying, you need to get out, would you accuse me of frightening you to safety? I'm bringing a warning. If you don't know Jesus' forgiveness and the relationship with God that comes through that, that we've been singing about this morning, the wonderful relationship that we have with God, his love and his joy and his peace and his mercy in our life, but ultimately the fact that he makes us right with God. If you don't know that, if you don't know the goodness that he brings to your life, the righteousness 
that he gives to you in exchange for your sin. And I'm bringing you a solemn warning this morning. You need to decide how much you're attached to what the world has to offer. I would urge you, don't ignore the warning. Find safety in Jesus. And please realize that as I bring you this warning, these are not just my words. They're not my words and my opinions. I'm repeating, I'm expounding the words of Jesus. In verse 28 it says here, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught us one who had authority. And not as their teachers of the law. Not as their religious teachers. He was different. Why was he different? Because he, what he was saying perfectly matched up with his life. It just matched up perfectly. There was an authority there. He wasn't just someone like the teachers of the law who told people what to do and didn't do it themselves. Jesus said, you hypocrites. No, Jesus' life perfectly matched up. And that's the difference. He perfectly fulfilled all he was teaching. That's the difference between Jesus and me. Because my life doesn't match up perfectly with this that I've been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. As I prepare and as I preach these messages, I'm always being challenged about my own life, how it matches up, my own shortcomings, how I'm so far from what it's saying. Jesus never did. Jesus didn't preach these words and think, oh yeah, but I know I don't quite do this myself. He perfectly matched up with it. But yet I, and anyone else who preaches from the word of God, is constantly having their hearts searched by it and having to be cast totally on God. And that's the best place to be. Jesus' perfection means he's the only person who can ever proclaim forgiveness of sin. He's the only person. I can't tell you your sins are forgiven because of me because I don't have the authority to do that. But Jesus did because he was God, because he lived a perfect life. And if you don't know God this morning, I would urge you to see these words as Jesus' warning to you. But church, We can't just go away thinking, well, that's what this message is about. And that's often what people think. That's it. That's what Jesus is meaning by this message. But Jesus was speaking to his disciples. His whole message has been to us. What is he saying to us here, church, at the conclusion of this message? Let's have a look at that. First of all, who are these two different men? Both men are being described as people who hear Jesus' words. So they're not people who who may have never heard anything about Jesus. They're not people who might be out there uh, at car boot sales this morning or um, just watching TV or having a lion who just think, well, I don't know anything about Jesus. These two men are people who hear Jesus' words. They could well be sitting here side by side today, here, in this meeting. The difference between the wise builder and the foolish builder is what they do with what they have heard. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man. And he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not 
put them into practice is like the foolish man. The wise man puts the words into practice. The foolish one doesn't put them into practice. So on first glance, at first sight, these two men look very similar. They've both built a house. They've both built a fine-looking house. Their lives are looking pretty good. They're looking as though they're pretty sorted. It's not obvious that there's a big problem. There's nothing really that you can look at to tell them apart. You look at two houses, one with foundation, one with not, on a sunny day, they both look pretty similar. There's not a lot to tell them one from the other. And that will be the same here today. Here today, there will be some people who have really laid good foundations by putting Jesus' words into practice. And there'll be others here, no doubt, who have listened to the words, but that's as far as it's gone. And Jesus is addressing us and saying, which one are we? Which one are you? What's your life built on? They don't look very different. I mean, it's very easy, isn't it, to look interested in what's being preached. I mean, some of you find it difficult, I can tell. (laughs) It's quite easy for a while to look interested in what's being preached. It's very easy to say, oh, that's a really good message. Really good message. It's pretty easy to go to core group and have a discussion about it and decide, well, what does this verse really mean? Let's have an intellectual discussion about it. And maybe get a little bit uncomfortable when our core group leader says, so what are we going to do about that then? What's the application of that for your life? Yeah, not a general application. What about you? I don't know, but I think, what does the Greek say about this word? Never mind what the Greek says. What about you? What's it going to be mean for you? How's your life going to change? That's what Jesus is getting at. He's getting to the crux of the matter. Do we put into practice what we hear? Now, before people misunderstand and think that Jesus is talking, or I'm talking about salvation by works, let me just briefly remind you what I said last time I preached here on this when we looked at not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. Last time I was talking about how clearly, biblically, our salvation is entirely due, entirely due to what Jesus did. It's down to his obedience. It's down to his perfection. It's down to his righteousness. It's the fact that he followed the will of his Father perfectly, that we didn't. We can't. He did. And that will of his father led him to the cross where he was punished for our sin. No, Jesus isn't talking about us earning salvation. He's talking about working out what Jesus has already done in our lives. He's talking about a response to the gospel once we've received it into our lives. What is our response going to be? Are we just going to say, oh, fantastic, God, I receive forgiveness and grace and mercy. Fantastic, hallelujah, now let me just go and do what I want to do. And that's all okay then. Or is our response something else? And Jesus is saying, actually, in John 14, 15, if you love me, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. If you love me, if there's a response to my love for you and you love me, The outworking of that love is that you'll do what I say. 
How we respond to God's love is the evidence of whether it's taken root in our lives. Let's briefly look at these two men. The foolish man. The foolish man who builds his house on sand without laying any foundations. Why would you do that? I mean, why would you lay, build a house and think, I'm just going to build it on some sand? I'm not going to bother laying the foundations. Well, the answer to that really is laziness, isn't it? Laziness. Actually, it's too much time. It's too much effort. I've got these plans about the house. I've got this amazing kitchen I'm wanting to build and this garden. I'm going to landscape it and everything. I'm going to get, I'm going to get Fiona in and her team. They're going to do it all for me. It's going to be fantastic. And I'm going to, I'm going to build it high and big tower and it's going to look so impressive. Actually, tell me I should lay foundations. What's that? Dig in the earth. Dig all this earth out. Dig all this earth out. Put some concrete in. Get some reinforced. We can't even see it. Why am I going to be bothered with that? Why should I be bothered doing that? That's too much time and effort. I'm going to get on there. But buildings need foundations. I've just been to Canada. I've just got back. And uh, I don't know if you want to put the screen up. The slide up. I went up the fifth biggest tower in the world, the CN Tower. There it is. I went up to the top of that. Quite scary. Um, fifth biggest tower in the world. And when it was being built, the first four months of that tower being built was concentrating on the foundations. Four months on the foundations. 56,000 tons of dirt was cleared out. And then concrete and steel reinforcements were put in. And if that hadn't have happened, the building would have collapsed. You know, two million people visit the CN Tower every year. How many of those two million see the foundations? None of them. No one sees the foundations. They just see the tower. They're impressed by it. Wow, amazing foundations. If there hadn't been the foundations there, though... That would have blown down years ago. Because I tell you, it's windy up there. <laughs> it went out. Whoa! You can feel the wind on the outside of it. It's not easy work. Thanks. It's not easy work digging and laying foundations. There's a temptation, a real temptation to skip it. So just start building what we can see. So we can sit back and enjoy what we've built. But it's foolishness. It's foolishness because when the bad weather comes, it will not stand. And the foolish person is always in a hurry. They always want shortcuts. They always want to get quick results. You know, they think, well, I I don't need to learn anything from anyone. I can just learn from God. It'll be fine. God's grace on me. He'll, He'll sort things out in my life. I can just go ahead. I can plow on. People say, well, actually, let's just give you some advice, some wisdom. I don't need to hear that. I don't need to hear any advice. I don't want, I don't want you to tell me that things could be difficult. Oh, it's fine. I've got God in my life. It'll be wonderful. They've got nothing to learn from anyone, they think. They always think that they're right. Always right. Maybe they're planning to get married. And so they might go and see Dan and Rachel. Oh, we've got to go and see Dan and Rachel. We're going to get married in the church. 
And so Dan and Rachel start to talk about marriage. And, you know, marriage can be tough sometimes, they'll be saying, you know. And, uh, you know have, you, have you thought about how you're going to cope in that, in that time? Oh, don't be silly. What do you mean marriage can be tough? We love one another. It's all going to be fine. We're not going to be like those couples who struggle. Oh, don't talk to us about that. What about decorating the Jubilee Centre downstairs? How, how can we do that? I've got this great idea for something that's really different. And, no, but what about your marriage? No, I don't, I don't care about the marriage. Can we, can we have some petals out here? In the, can we do some streamers? And, no, but what about your marriage? No, I'm not bothered about that. They don't want to hear. They don't want to hear that things could be difficult. They don't want advice about how to build a marriage that will last rather than just prepare for a day that will be gone. I think it'll work out okay. That's just one example. Lots of examples of of how the foolish person can act. They they just don't think things through. They just don't plan. when, When things happen, they just think, oh no, I didn't see that one coming. Blame the circumstances. Oh, well, I, I didn't know that was going to happen. It's not my fault. They want all the comfort and benefits that Christianity can bring. But they don't want to count the cost of discipleship. Foolish person quite likes talking about God. They like talking about the love of God. They like talking about the grace of God. You don't hear them much talking about the holiness of God or the justice of God because actually they they find their favourite bits of the Bible. They'll pick and choose bits. Oh, I like this verse. I like this verse. I'm not keen on that verse. I'm not going to focus too much on that verse. Actually, for the foolish person, it'll have been a tough ride. It's a tough ride anyway. Going through the Sermon on the Mount. That's some tough stuff in there. Actually, the foolish person has probably not been that tough because they'll probably just think, ah, it's unrealistic. It's just idealism. It's all, all this stuff in here. You know, don't even, if, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in her heart. Ah, unrealistic, Jesus. Unrealistic. Do not break your oath. Keep, the oath, keep what you say. Oh, I can't do that. Turn the other cheek. If someone's had a go at you, turn the other cheek. All this stuff is just unrealistic. We don't need to worry about that. Ah, there's grace, there's forgiveness. We can just, we just go on in that. That's fine. No, it's hard. There's pressure. There's pressure to withstand. There's challenge that the word of God brings. It's easy to follow Jesus when the sun's shining. When you're surrounded by other people, they're all doing the same as you. New day. For young people, it's easy to follow Jesus at New Day. You've got 7,000 other people all going, yeah, we'll never be ashamed of you. And you believe it. Because you're with 7,000 other people who are all saying the same thing. Peter said that, didn't he? Jesus, I'll never be ashamed of you. I'll never deny you. Then he's on, on his own in the courtyard. And a servant girl says, you were with him, weren't you? Oh, not me. I wasn't with him. How easily it turns. How easy it is to say, oh, it'd be fine, I'll never be ashamed of you, Jesus. So wonderful. Oh, isn't this Christian life great? What's this Christian life like when you're back at school or college and you've got everyone having a go at you or or tempting you into doing something? It's like, oh, come and do this. Oh, yeah. I'll just go along then. 
there's pressure. The stream waters begin to rise. And there's a pressure there. Yes, that's what Jesus was talking about when he talks about the, the streams rising against the house, pushing in, pushing in against the house, the wind's starting to blow. Oh, it's not as comfortable now. There's pressure. Pressure to go the same way as everyone else. Oh, it's just easy to go along with the flow, isn't it? The force of the water. Water can exert a lot of pressure. Water coming up against your house, very easy just to go along with it. It's difficult to stand against the tide. It's difficult to walk down the narrow road that Jesus has been talking about. When, you, when the crowds are pushing you down their, their way, their wide road, urging you down the same road as everyone else. When friends or work colleagues, people at school, just think you're mad because of the choices you're making. I mean, they think you're mad for going to church on a Sunday morning. But then with other things, they just think, oh, what's going on here? You what? You're going, your holiday's at, in a field in North Yorkshire, in a camp? Why, why don't you have a beach holiday? That's how you're choosing to spend your holiday? You're mad. You're moving to the east of the city? Don't you have money to move to the southwest of the city? It's a lot nicer there. I thought, you, I thought you'd have earned enough money for that. You're going to the east? Why? Because your church, your church is doing something there. What? You, you what? You're giving up a well-paid job? You're giving up a company car? You're, you're volunteering? For a, you're giving time for a church project? I don't understand that. You're not, you're not going to come to the casino with us. Why not? Everyone else is going. The Bible... Surely you don't believe the Bible. It's, surely it's all made up and outdated. Adam and Eve, you be, what? You know, are our foundations good enough, deep enough to withstand that pressure? Because the wind is going to come and the, and the waters are going to rise and we will feel it. We will feel it. We're not immune to it. When I was up that CN Tower and I walked into the outside bit, I felt the wind. And it wasn't even a particularly windy day on the ground. I thought, what's this like on a windy day? Man, when it's coming at you, can we stand? Can we stand when we feel that? Or do we just think, oh, I can't, I can't, it's just too much. I'm going to give in. I'm going to go the way of the world. And we sing songs this morning which, which are, you know, it's sometimes easy to sing. And you think, what? can we do this? Do we live this? He alone will be our glory. Nothing in this world we see. The world's nothing compared to Jesus. He's our glory. But what when we're in the world? Can we live that? Are our foundations strong? My heart will sing, no other name, Jesus. Or will your heart be going after something else? Will your heart be going after money? Will your heart be going after the things of the world? This is real life Jesus is talking about. He's wanting to equip us for real life. And brothers and sisters, if we've not laid good foundations in our life, we will not stand. We will not stand against all that. If we've not got into the word of God and acted on it, 
we've not got used to being disciplined by God in our Christian lives, if we've not developed our relationship with God in the good times, in the sunny days, then actually we're going to be found wanting when the rain and the streams and the winds come. It could be any number of things. It will certainly be that peer pressure. It could well be persecution. How will our faith stand up when we're persecuted? How will our faith stand up when we or a close member of our family or friend gets sick? How will our faith stand up when we face an unexpected tragedy in our lives? When we lose our job? When we miscarry? Whatever. How will we cope when we're facing our own imminent death? Whenever that comes, which we all will face. Will our lives stand? Will our house stand? Foolish person's life will fall with a great crash. But what about the wise person? The wise person does take time to build good foundations. They realize it's not all about quick results. The wise person allows God to shape and mold their characters, to change them. They're eager to be changed. They're eager to develop character before they, before they rush on, before they want a profile. Oh, great, I've been saved now. And hey, it looks as though there's lots of things in the church. Now I've got, I've got some skills. I think I can come in. Actually, I think I could do a better job at core group leading than my core group leader. You know, I've, I've been to a couple of core group meetings now. They're, they're not up to much. Those are just ones who come to mind. I could do better than that. I could do better than the preaching and the, and the worship band. I could bring a lot to that. I could bring, I, I'll be, you know, I'm going to have a word with Dan. I'm going to have a word with Dan at the end of the meeting and see if I can play next week. And maybe let me lead worship the week afterwards. You're rushing in. Actually, the wise person doesn't do that. The wise person thinks, I need to just develop some character. Yeah, there's ways to serve in the church. We want to serve in the church, but, but I'm not going to rush in. I'm not going to rush into to, to a profile thing. I'm just going to serve quietly. How can I help? What can I do? Because I'm going to develop some character. Because they realize it will stand them in good stead in the end. A wise person seeks godly input. A wise person looks around and thinks, who can I learn from here? Who, is really, who am I really impressed with? Their character. Not with their gift. The gift comes from God. But what about their character? I, I want to learn from them. I want to take time. I want to, I want to spend time with them. I want to ask them some questions. I want to ask them to just speak into my life a little bit because I want to hear it. A wise person takes time to read their Bible and let it speak to them and takes time to read the whole Bible, not just one or two comforting verses for a few situations. A wise person allows the Word of God to search their hearts. They don't just listen or read it in a defensive way. Oh, I don't, I don't like that. Oh, I don't, I don't like the, what they're saying about that. So they read it and hear preaching in a way which welcomes God working in their lives. They know that any pain that they experience through God's, God's word searching your heart will be for long-term good. They know the truth of Hebrews 12, 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. 
Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. A wise person humbles themselves. They know their need for God in their lives. Jesus is not asking us to be perfect in order to come to him. Jesus knows we're not perfect. He's asking us to be humble before him. You know, sometimes people can get hung up on, on stuff, like I've said, in the Sermon on the Mount even. I've had a number of discussions with people over these last few years. And, uh, you know, some people react. Some people just get down about it. Some people just think, well, I'm just not like this. You know, I, I, I'm looking at all these things and I, I'm not like it. Well, actually, that's not what the question's about. Jesus isn't saying, are you like that? We shouldn't be asking ourselves, is that what I'm like? I mean, in one sense, we should ask ourselves, is that what we're like? But not, that's not it. Because the answer's going to be no. I mean, I'd be pleased to meet anyone who, uh, who, who can read through the Sermon on the Mount and say, oh, yeah, I've got that one sorted out. I've got that sussed. You know? Do I avoid lusting after people? Do I always keep my word? Do I avoid love of money always? Do I never judge other people? Do I never worry? Do I never do things for show? Do I always turn the other cheek? Do I always do to others as they would do to me? I would have them do to me. I don't think many of us, if any of us, can say yes to that. That's not the key question. The key question is, do we want to be like that? Do we want God to change us into people who are like that? Is that my ambition? To see what God is setting before us and say, God, I want that. With all my heart, I want to be that sort of person. And so I want you to work in me and change me and mold me. And I want to sit at your feet and learn from you and learn from others so that I can be changed. Because if the ambition, if your ambition is, yes, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. I'm not going to just say it's unrealistic. I'm not just going to say, oh, I, I can't be bothered with that. It's too hard. I'm going to say, no, Jesus, you've put that here. You've said these things. I believe you can do that in us. So I want that. I want my life to be matched up with you. And you're a wise person. You're building your house on the rock. Because that desire just immediately casts us on God. It means we, we're not doing it in and of our own strength, because we can't. So we're immediately cast on God. You know, the wise person tries to live a life that is like this and, and gets distressed that they mess it up. They're constantly thinking, oh, I've messed up again. But actually then, they don't stay there. They remember Jesus encourages us. In the Sermon on the Mount, encourages us to ask him, seek, knock. If we ask, seek, and not, we will receive from the Father. We will, God will forgive us. He will pour out his Holy Spirit on us to give us power to live a godly life. So that's what, that's what wise people keep doing. And they do it week after week after week. I've already said, you know, we can be sitting here and, and it's hard to see who the wise people and the foolish people are. Do you know where you'll see the wise people? You'll see wise people at the end of a meeting standing here at the front. If there's a response time. Why? Because they've, they've, they've allowed God to search their hearts. And they've found themselves wanting. And they've been cast on God and they said, God, I need you. 
I need you to change me here. I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your power. They're keen to come to the front. They're not just thinking, well, what are other people here going to think? If we're worried about what people here are going to think, what are we going to think about people who don't love God? But they just say, no, I'm going to be here. The people standing down here at the front aren't people who are any worse than anyone else. So they're going to sit and go, you know, they've responded again. They've got so many issues in their life. They've responded five times this month. There's only been four meetings. They were... <laughs> Who was there? Got a soft heart. Got a soft heart. They want more of God. They know their dependence on God. They're not concerned about others. That's what it means to build our house on the rock. To desire holiness. To strive after it, knowing we can't do it ourselves, we're dependent on God. To make choices that other people will think are mad. Because we're not going the way they're going. We're walking the narrow way. Jesus has preached this message of the kingdom to us. He's inviting us to respond to him. I guess the question is, do we want to? Do we want to? Is that what we want our lives to be like? Do we welcome his power? Do we welcome his love and forgiveness? Yeah, we, we might easily welcome those things. Do we welcome his discipline? Do we welcome the refining fire? I'd encourage us to welcome everything God has got for us. To be those who hear his word. And don't just forget about it as we walk out the door, but make a conscious decision. God, I'm going to live, I'm going to live this out. I'm in, de- in total dependence on you and your power. My aim is to, is to live this out in the world, in my day-to-day life. And when I mess up, I can come back to you and know you forgive me. Your grace will cover everything. Your power will come into me again and I'll go out again because I know one day, one day, I'll be with you in heaven. Let's pray.